ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good morning. This is Chickie Fitzgerald, and we have a really unique show scheduled for you today. And uh, even though our guest is an author, we're going to really be talking about an entire enterprise that she has been building. And she has got an amazing story to tell, and I am going to just jump right into letting her tell that story. Maya, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great to be here with you. So our guest is Maya Holohan, and Maya is the CEO and founder of a company called eWedded. Uh, she will tell you all about that, but she also has a podcast. She has just written a book, and I'll tell you what, uh, her adventures are something that uh, completely intrigue me because I know how hard it is to do all of those things because I do them as well. Maya, why don't you uh, let our listeners know about you, who you are, what brought you to this particular moment, such a time as this? <laughs> well, that's such a, a broad, bold question. Uh, hopefully I can do it justice uh, with my answer. So I've just, I've always been um, a very entrepreneurial person ever since I was a young girl. And, and I think it's because my parents um, wanted us to be engaged in group activities from a very young age. Um, I'm adopted and I'm biracial and I grew up in what would be considered Green Acres, <laughs> very white, um, beautiful <laughs> town on Cape Cod. And it was important for my parents that we felt included. And so they created opportunities for us where um, we could engage with other people and feel equal and so I immediately became attracted to sports and played three sports in high school captained every team in high school played two sports in college and and was the leader on both of those teams and I knew as I was developing in my youth that I wanted to lead a company one day I felt that deep down inside I just didn't know what it was going to be and so I graduated college um, was very fortunate to get my first job on probably the most affluent street in the country other than Rodeo Drive, which is Newberry Street in Boston, and uh, took a job with Gianni Versace, uh, which was, you know, to me, wealth was like you had a white picket fence and a microwave and maybe a pool in your backyard. It wasn't <laughs> that you spent $3,000 on a silk shirt. So I was going into a world that I was not familiar with at all. I was completely enamored and actually quite intimidated. And I had never been intimidated before. So this was a totally new experience for me. Uh, so intimidated that I almost got fired. <laughs> the oh, only wow. thing that saved me, uh, so I was in a sales position and everybody that I worked with was in their forties and I was in my job. So I was the youngest you know, person there and I loved my team, but I just, I didn't have that sales salesy, you know, experience like they did. And it was evident <laughs> in my production. Um, and then one day, our manager quit on the spot, she walked out. And now the owner of that business, it was a franchise, was very absentee. She just wanted to own a business, but she didn't want to have anything to do with it. And so the sales team, they liked me, and th they also didn't want any more competition. So they said, you know, you're a real leader. Why don't you go ask her if you can be the manager of, of the store? 
And I was being stupid. Okay, yeah, let me go do that. Well, I oh, did. Wow. I just went to her and said, listen, I'm not a salesperson, but I am a manager. Would you give me the opportunity? And she was like, absolutely. I don't want to be here. You know, she's down <laughs> the dredges. And that's not where she wants to be. So I, at 22 years old, became the manager of one of the most prominent retailers in Boston and spent five years there. Uh, and then from there, I moved on to a modeling agency and, and ran an entire promotions division. It was a, a national um, company. And that took me to New York City. Uh, I had, we had offices in New York City and I fell in love with New York. And at that point, I was almost 30 and single. <laughs> I said to myself, if I'm gonna move to New York, I need to do it now. Uh, and I did, I took the leap. And again, I would say probably the grace of God, um, I got a job with Vera Wang. And who, if you follow Bridal at all, Vera Wang is probably one of the most renowned wedding gown designers in the world. And at that point, she probably was the most renowned um, wedding gown designer in the world. And I, my very first day on the job, I was like, this is going to be my life for the rest of my business career. I, I, I fell in love with weddings. I fell in love with the design process. I, I fell in love with every aspect of <laughs> And um, also in that time fell in love. I met my first husband <laughs> a couple of months after I started working at Vera Wang and it was a whirlwind and we knew we um, didn't wanna stay in New York. We wanted to, to move somewhere that was more affordable. We could start a family and start a business. So we moved to his hometown of Norfolk, Virginia, um, and I'm still in the area. I'm just one town over now in Chesapeake. And I took a job with the largest bridal shop in this market, a huge store, 10,000 square feet, and it had been in the market for 35 years when I started working for them. Um, it was not anything like high end. <laughs> well, yeah, culture shock, first of all. I mean, for anybody who's been in the Norfolk area, and uh, I have twin nieces that were born there when my sister's husband was in, in the Navy. And yeah, very, very different culture than New York City. Absolutely. You know, and I wouldn't consider myself a New Yorker. I would certainly consider myself probably still a small town girl. But when you go from Boston to New York to Norfolk, it, it's, it, it'll stop you in your tracks a little bit. Um, so, but it, I was meant to be there. I, I actually called the owners. They lived in Richmond, which is about an hour and a half from here. So again, they were absentee. And unbeknownst to me, they were looking to get out of the industry completely. Uh, but they were going through some financial struggles. And so I called them and said, listen, I don't think this is the right fit. Um, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, but I think I need to find another, I, I'm not doing you justice and, and this is, you know, not doing me justice. And um, two hours later, they called me back and said, do you want to buy the company? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, excuse me, actually, and they had three stores, okay, when I resigned, they offered to sell me all three of them. And I said, well, first of all, there's no way I can afford all three of them. I don't even know if I can afford this one. But if I'm going to buy one, if this is your flagship store, this is where my heart is, this is where I live, then yeah, I'll, I'll go about doing it. Um, and so uh, my husband and I worked diligently with a business advisor to write a business plan, to come up with funding options, um, and through lots of creativity and perseverance, <laughs> uh, we bought the business in October of 2004. And um, I, I took that business from one store 
to, by 2014, I had six stores. I had a wedding planning business. Um, and I also was the publisher and creative designer for a wedding magazine that had our company name on it. So it was branded under my, my business. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it was my life. I mean, I, I can admittedly say that my business came first and, and my family came second. And, and in that time, I gave birth to a daughter. So, you know, like, right. running a business, growing a business. Um, and, and interestingly enough, and I think this is a real lesson for business people. It took me a decade to actually expand, to diversify my company. So I, I spent a whole decade really changing the reputation of that business because it was suffering, uh, making it my own, putting my name on it, really creating a great experience for our customers. And then in 2014, I opened a second location about 35 minutes from Norfolk. Um, and toward the end of that year, uh, acquired three of my competitors. <laughs> um, and, and they mm -hmm. came to me actually and said, we're either gonna sell it to you or we're gonna close. And I should have let them close. <laughs> you know, somebody once said to me, don't buy your competition, let them die in the vine. And, you know, and it has to be right. And for me, it was not right. It was a lesson that I had to learn the hard way. Um, so I actually spent about 2015 to August of 2017, um, working in crisis mode. I, I was a crisis mm -hmm. owner, crisis leader. Um, I had taken on way too much, did not create an infrastructure and raise the capital to support the vision and all of the acquisitions. Um, and unfortunately had to turn my company over to the bank in August of 2017. So uh, yeah, so it was a wicked, crazy ride. Um, you know, but I say to people all the time, I got a real life MBA between 2015 and 2007. Like you can't go to school. There's no school that will ever teach you the hard knocks of business. Like I totally, totally agreed. And uh, I will never forget on my LinkedIn profile and on my Facebook page uh, under college, I put the school of hard knocks because of course so many people do that. Uh, but I, my daughter looked at it and it's like, mommy, where is that? And I said, it is all around you. <laughs> and yeah. And, and, you know, for me, I, I didn't, go the path that you did, but I think it's really interesting that you talk about your days, uh, you know, in high school being, you know, a three sport athlete and, and being the captain of the team, because I, I think one of the things that parents now uh, don't necessarily see is the signs that you may have an entrepreneur as a child, right? And, and we push them through, you know, this college prep uh, training and we spend all of this money sending them to college. I'm very, very blessed because both of my children selected, uh, you know, options for their education that were much less expensive uh, than, than the standard alternatives. And, you know, we don't train them like you said, you, you can't even learn this stuff in an MBA or even a doctorate uh, in business. And, you know, my first 
uh, startup, my first tech startup that I did completely on my own, raising, you know, external capital, that I call my million dollar doctorate, right? Because I invested a million of my own resources, raised six million from someone else. And there is no one who can give you that kind of education. So I'm really glad you shared that, Maya. I'm sorry you had to live through it, but... uh, (laughs) The cool thing is, right, like once you've lived through it, you can like check that box, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> I mean, the key is, did you learn? Can you own up to where you went wrong? Will you share that information? See, I, I think it's a responsibility of, of, of entrepreneurs who have, you know, experienced enormous success, but have also crashed and burned and then rebuilt to share that information. Um, because I do think that there is this, you know, misperception that entrepreneurship is glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> and that it's so easy and it is not glamorous at all. You I want to be the star in that movie though. <laughs> like, okay. I mean, you're lucky if you get it right the first time, right? And it can sustain you for your lifetime and it can it can provide for you all of the internal and external things that you want out of owning a business but the reality is most people fail at least once and some people fail more than once uh you know the key is learning and then and then getting back up and 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 trying again right let's pause for a commercial break you've been listening to the game changer sponsored by traveling to give For more information about our smart event tools that give back with each trip, visit travelingtogive.com. So the interesting thing, um, when I first met you, first of all, you know, you're, you're just a force to be reckoned with. I mean, I, it's not possible to be in a room with you and to not want to go over and talk to you. So, you know, we, we met at a a C-suite network event and, uh, you know, that was the brightest spot in my year last year was meeting you and then being able to be side by side with you on this particular leg of your journey, which is, is actually quite different because you had, um, you know, kind of gotten back to business and done some of the skills that you had learned along the way, but, but you applied it to working for someone else and helping them build their business. And then uh, right about the time that we met, I mean, you had already started down this, this journey of envisioning what you wanted eWedded to be. And I do want to get around to that, but I want to talk about a couple of the foundational things that actually happened first. And, and one of those is the book that you had written. And, and that book was in you because of the experience of owning the wedding shops. And, and it was also very interesting to me because it's all about the process of, of getting your dress, right? And how central that is to the experience of getting married. And I believe I shared with you that I had designed my own wedding dress when I was about 16, like uh, literally on the back of a napkin. And I'm, I'm no fashion designer at all. In fact, I'm not even sure why I thought that was a good idea, but, uh, my parents were going to be going to Portugal for the summer uh, when I was, uh, I guess, 18. And I was uh, engaged and I was going to be married. And I thought, well, you know, I want to have my mother's friend, Anna, who was a seamstress. I want her to create this dress. And so I decided to go to Portugal with them. I quit my job and, you know, took the summer off. Uh, I'm the youngest of three girls. So I thought, you know, this is probably my last time to spend this kind of quality time with my parents. Um, 
And then right before my trip, my boyfriend broke up with me. <laughs> so, so here I've got this plan to have this wedding dress done. And he was actually going to fly over and we were going to get married there. Right. And I thought, you know, what the heck? I, and so she, she went ahead and, and did it. So we shopped for the lace and for the fabric and all of that. So I, I went through that side of it. But when I was reading your book to, you know, to help you on the editing front with that, it was like, oh my God, you know, and you see TV movies about the experience. <laughs> but I, I want you to kind of uh, rewind just a tiny bit into your story, because I do know that at the end of the whole retail side of things, you already had the vision for the electronic side of what could be, right, which is now the marketplace that has taken shape and form and, you know, really is about to launch. Um, but then the book, you know, kind of inserted itself into that process. And, and you had a sense, and we talked about this when we first met, that that actually needed to precede the rollout of the business because it, it helped you, first of all, establish yourself as an expert. And those who live outside of Virginia wouldn't have known how, how very much you know about this. So talk to me a little bit about that process and why you decided to write the book and tell us a little bit about it. Okay, sure. Um, so yeah, well, I will talk more about eWedded in a moment, but it is interesting. I will say this in times of strife and we're, we're going through that right now globally, right? There are people who are suffering. We are in such unprecedented times and, and choppy waters, but sometimes these disruptive periods are the periods where we innovate. And, and truly in my time of pain, I was looking for a solution um, to bring in more money to my, I was looking at the holes in my business, like where, where, where are the inefficiencies and how can I create something to solve those? So the idea for eWedded actually came out of pain. Honestly, if I had not gone through what I went through, it probably wouldn't even be in development and almost ready to bring to market. So, so I just want to leave that nugget for listeners that, um, you know, sometimes our darkest moments really inspire our brightest ideas. So, so take that. Uh, but yeah, so everything imploded <laughs> in August of 2017. And part of the um, healing process, because when you lose a business that you are so intimately entwined with, and for me, it had my name on it. I was the brand. I was the face of the business. I was the person engaged in the community. Uh, it is a loss. It's like, and plus people were you know, slinging my name across through the mud. So that, that kind of hurt a little bit, um, but it's like losing a family member, right? right? So I had to go through the grieving process. And for me, part of that was writing. Um, I actually started a blog first. And it was really a blog about, you know, pulling yourself up from your bootstraps and, and starting all over again. And then the idea for the book came to me. And I, I think that came from um, the fact that, A, I missed being in a showroom, helping women find their dream wedding gown. And I, I think I really knew the chances that I would ever be in that position again would be very slim. I knew I, I wanted to stay in the wedding industry in some capacity, but I didn't know what that would look like. And at this point, eWedded was shelved. Um, so I thought, well, I could just be the voice of reason for them. You know, I could be, I could create the roadmap for right. women to have the best experience possible and keep things in perspective. In the book, 
I talk about what it's like to have a bridal shop that closes and leaves brides in the lurch. And as a bride, how do you navigate through that? Okay. Um, because the reality is that wedding planning is beautiful and painful all at the same time. I guess it's sort of like entrepreneurship. It, it, yes, it's yes. rare that you won't have some hiccup or some crisis like right now. I mean, how many couples thought that they would have to, you know, upend their wedding because of a pandemic? Right. Right. So, so the book is, I, I like to say it's, it's, um, there's a lot of beauty infused. There's a lot of love infused, but there's also some harsh realities <laughs> about what to expect, um, both from their vendors and then the responsibilities that they have to make sure that they're having the experience that they want. Um, right. so, so I talk a lot about etiquette and, and how they should carry themselves and the questions they should ask of their vendors, what they should expect and the things they shouldn't settle for. Um, you know, really I go into what does great service look like, right? And if you're not getting that, then you need to go somewhere else. <laughs> right. And by the way, you know, I mean, I, I know you really wrote it with the bride in mind, but every bridal shop in the world should read this book because I, I don't know how often entrepreneurs really, you know, the people who own the shops, uh, if they are involved on a day-to-day -day basis, how they can rise above the day-to-day the -day and actually see it for what it is right. and, and to truly understand, um, you know, what a bride who has an overbearing mother-in-law or even an overbearing mother, which you, you go there, right? <laughs> Yes, I do. Uh, you absolutely go there. And, or, you know, uh, and anytime there's undue influence. And, and, you know, when I look back at my own experience of designing uh, my own dress and then realizing, uh, so that happened when I was, I think, 18. And I didn't get married until I was 33. Thank God I still fit in the dress. Can you imagine? But, but, I was more sophisticated then, right? And so I had embellishments put on the dress. And, and, you know, you talk about all of those parts of the process. And I didn't have the pressure of others. My mother and my mother-in-law lived in different towns. And, you know, they, they weren't there for most of the planning process. So, so the book is now done. The book is done. I just posted the other day. I, I am holding the very first print copy. <gasps> Altered after, and what I know, you know this feeling. It's it's quite surreal, actually, to be holding a book that I created with my name on it. Oh, and not only that, like you you read it a gazillion times. <laughs> I I know that story because I've got my own book that I wrote, and and when you, when it's all done and it's all hanging together, and you actually read it front to back. It's like, wow, did I write that? Yeah. I mean, it, it is a cool experience. And for anybody who's listening, who is trying to establish their expertise in a field and get the proper recognition for that, writing a book is a wonderful experience. Now, I'm going to ask you the question that everyone asks authors, you know, like, why did you write it? Uh, you know, is it, is it about making a lot of money or is it that calling card for you that uh, establishes your credibility? It's absolutely a credibility thing. Um, you know, I, wrote, I was writing this and actually didn't 
go the full mile to finish it until I knew for sure eWedded was going to come to market. Uh, and so for me, it is that piece that positions me as the expert in the industry. It is that piece that connects me to women who are getting married. Uh, and so, you know, if I make money off of it, great. And the chances are I'll do I may do better than some other first time authors because the book will be available on the marketplace and the marketplace is going to hopefully with great marketing, bring a lot of people to it. Right. Um, so, you know, and, and, and I do have connections already in the industry so that that's going to help. But yeah, no, for me, it's really, um, it's a gift to, to, to women who are getting married and that may sound cheesy, but that's how I was so successful for so many years as a retailer was that I was completely selfless and, and my, and my team were selfless. It wasn't about us. It was about the women we were serving um, and helping them make their day, you know, a dream come true. And so, well, and the book is a great engagement present by the way, you know, so if, if you're listening to this and, and, you know, your marriage is, is long in the rear view mirror, <laughs> uh, you know, it, I will tell you, it was so enjoyable. My, my husband and I, and I know I shared this with you the last time we talked, we are like Hallmark junkies, <laughs> right? So, you know, even though, and, and we've got a daughter who, you know, sometime in the future will get married and, and uh, you know, I will be deeply involved in that planning. And now I know what not to do, right? And I'll be there to help you. <laughs> you will, you will. And then I've, you know, I've got a son who already has, uh, you know, the bride picked out. And uh, so we'll, we'll see how that all goes. But I, I just, I think it was just so much fun. And again, especially because we're Hallmark junkies and we're always watching movies about love and weddings and, and bridezillas and, you know, I mean, like every possible scenario that you had in your book is encapsulated into every, you know, Hallmark movie that there oh, yeah. is. <laughs> but I, I think that there is, is just, it, it's such a perfect time. And even though this is a chaotic time, uh, and, and, you know, as you said, we're, we're just facing this amazing roller coaster of uncharted waters. Uh, your courage to actually bring all of this to fruition at a time when people still don't necessarily have the freedom to go ahead with their wedding, right? Um, and, and I love what you did with your podcast because you, once you knew eWedded was going to be a go, right? You didn't know when. I mean, you, you had uh, the same kind of aspirations that all of us launching tech companies do. Uh, you know, it's always going to be sooner than, than it oh, actually yeah. shows up. <laughs> but the podcast was really, really interesting because, again, it served to further establish your credibility. You have an amazing network of guests that you have already had on the show. And I, I look forward to how that's going to evolve once the platform has launched. Uh, so talk to us just a little bit about the experience of launching a podcast. And, you know, is it something that you would encourage others to do? Uh, if they have you in their corner, yes. I <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, well, and I think that's a reach out to people in your network. Right. right. You want to do something and you don't know how to do it. Ask somebody who's done it. And, and luckily you were just, you're, you're just so giving. And when I was sharing with you everything I wanted to do, um, I was able to leverage your knowledge and your experience. Uh, and so thank you for that. It's been an incredible uh, journey creating a podcast. Um, and it's not 
I have a friend that tapes her podcast in her kitchen on her on her iPhone. So it depends, like a book. It depends on what do you want to get out of it, right? Do you do you want it to be syndicated, and do you want to get all of these people downloading your podcast and get advertisers, or are you using it as a vehicle to be the thought leader, right? right. Are you doing it as a way to support? Is it another extension of another business, right? Right. And for me. Even, even more so for the book, it was an extension. I knew that from the time I was done writing to the time the book would actually be published was going to be at least six months because right. we had to go through the editing process and then we had to go through the design process. So it was just a question of how can I create energy and excitement while I'm waiting for these things to come to market? And it was a kind of a no brainer that the podcast would be a great way to do that because not only could I lend my voice to the industry, but I could continue to develop relationships with really awesome people in the industry. And, and I now, every time I talk to somebody, get a different perspective um, in view of what a wedding experience is like for them, whether it's a DJ right. or a wedding planner or a caterer. Um, in the future, I hope to actually be interviewing couples who have just gotten engaged or couples who've just said, I do, right? And what was that like for them? Uh, and so I get to live other people's stories and, and right. other people's experiences. So, well, and you are <laughs> such a natural, right? Uh, this, this was such an amazing experience for me, you know, helping to produce your show that, and again, I, I don't do that for a living, but I certainly do it to help out, uh, you know, very, very close friends and people uh, who I am helping to grow and launch their businesses, which is a, a personal passion of mine. Of that incubation um, that I, I feel very, very strongly about right now uh, in, in my own business and in my own practice. And, and that is the discussion of engagement. And I'm not talking about the kind of engagement that happens prior to a wedding. I'm talking about engagement of the people that you want to attract, engagement of the people that you want to serve. Mm -hmm. And and I am so glad that you said that both the book and your podcast we're really all about establishing that credibility because if you go into either of those for the money, you will be sorely disappointed because it's very, very hard. You, you, that has to be the business. Like you have to be an author and public speaker for that really to work. And, and you have to pour in a lot of money, right? And people don't see that. They think, Oh, I get a book deal. Well, you know, my my publisher gave me i think a hundred dollars on signing and you know if my mother had been alive she might have bought a you know a case of them uh but you know marketing was hard and selling was hard i, I do agree that that you will sell more than most first-time authors um but the really cool thing is to be able to say this is maya holahan and she literally wrote the book on on weddings and wedding dresses. And so, so now tell us about eWedded. Uh, and, and by the way, what I was just referring to in the engagement side of thing is, is the community that allows the people that you serve uh, to congregate, right? To sit around a round table instead of being 
talk to like we do from websites and like we do uh, even from podcasts and, and from books. You're being spoken to as opposed to having a conversation. Yeah. And I, my style's always been conversational. Uh, you know, it's always been about community. <laughs> uh, and I, I think that's how, and collaboration. I mean, I think that's how you grow. And, and, and I think most accomplished business people will say that community and strategic partnerships are the keys to longevity in business, right? And, and nurturing those relationships with the people um, that you meet. So that has always been um, in the forefront for me, right? It's, right. I'm not doing this alone. <laughs> and the success of everything, that, whether it's the book or the podcast or e-wedded, is, is not just me. It's, it's a group of people making it happen. And that is what's so exciting about it. Um, but yeah, so getting to the idea, um, and, and it's interesting because there's, there's a uniqueness in this story because there's the idea and then there's timing, <laughs> really when things should happen, right? Because I came up with the idea for eWedded in 2016. Um, and it, it came to me because I, again, I was looking for inefficiencies in the business. I was trying to fill holes. I was trying to figure out how can I get smarter quicker and save this company? And one of the glaring <laughs> problems was that through all of the acquisitions and just the way the industry works, I was sitting on almost a quarter of a million dollars of inventory that I could no longer sell on my showroom floors. And that was either discontinued merchandise, um, it could have been samples that were slightly worn, it could have been merchandise that never got picked up from the customer because unfortunately weddings do get canceled. And sometimes people just wanna turn and walk away and they never come and pick up their goods. Um, so <clears throat> I, at the time, there was a lot of marketplaces uh, you know, launching. There was Uber and there was Rover and you know, Amazon was doing great things. And I thought, well, what if I created a marketplace for the wedding industry? So I went to my attorney and he said, I love the idea. Uh, we've got to figure out how we can do this where we don't neglect the retail crisis that you're going through. And we need to, we need to validate it. So it was just on like the precipice of me going to market in New York City. And um, my team and I made a very little fly, like a glossy little postcard handout. And we started chatting with some retailers and designers while we were in the city. And it was unbelievable to me how much of a problem excess inventory was across the board. Wow. Uh, and I learned on that trip that some of the solutions include burning these gorgeous, amazing dresses and fabrics, um, throwing them away, putting them on containers and sending them back to where they were manufactured. We all know that's not good for the environment. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. And when you first told me about the burning of the pile of designer dresses, I, I just could not even imagine that yeah. that would be a solution. Yeah, I, I, I was appalled. Uh, and, I, and then I spoke, you know, retailers don't have that luxury, right? Like to just throw things away, I guess, and don't have the manufacturing side to send stuff back. Um, so we end up sitting on it. You know, even I was doing wedding gown giveaways. I was not a discount retailer, so I didn't always have sales, but I did would do two sales a year. And it, I mean, you didn't even make a dent 
Um, I spoke with a woman in California who had a bunch of stores in Southern Cal and she said, I have two containers full of merchandise that I can no longer sell. Now, some of it I couldn't sell in the marketplace, it's too old, but there, there's, there's thousands and thousands of dollars that I can list on, on your platform. So I came back really excited and my uh, financial and legal team and I came up with an idea to create a convertible note where people would invest in the retail business. And once we shored that up and the marketplace launched, their investment would convert into equity in the whole company, in the holding company. So we were gonna create a holding company and they would own every part of House of Maya. Uh, and I will tell you, we got so close. Um, I raised about $200,000 and almost $250,000 and was so close to securing $750,000. Right. <laughs> Until I got the call and the gentleman said, yeah, that's not going to happen. And I, I ended up calling the bank and I said, uh, it's over. This, I, I, this not, I've, I've literally turned over every rock. I have, I have, I have made every phone call. <laughs> I have had every conversation. Um, I, I got to give you my company. And I didn't cry and I didn't panic. It was actually the calmest experience I ever had when I, in, a, in that crisis moment. But in the back of my head, I knew I had tried everything, everything right, I right. could possibly try to save the business. So unfortunately, when the retail business went up in flames, so did the marketplace. Um, and at the time, it was branded as House of Maya Online. And so um, again, I, it, I took about seven months to recover from everything. And toward the end of 2017, I, I started rebranding it. I started thinking about, okay, what could it be? And that's where eWedded came from and you know, started the, the, the whole branding process. Uh, and then I got an opportunity to start another business with somebody else, somebody else's business. Right, right. The book got shelved, eWedded got shelved. Um, and I went and started, I became the CEO of another startup. And, and while that was not fruitful in many ways, it was um, necessary. Well, and we wouldn't have met exactly. had you not been in that role. Exactly right. We wouldn't have met my, I would have never met my developers. They, the people that are creating the marketplace were creating the network for the other company. Um, I would have never have um, even known about the C-suite network. <laughs> right. You know, and, 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 and I am friends with so many people, so many of my business relationships that I currently, um, for lack of a better phrase, take advantage of, right? And really enjoy. Enjoy, exactly. <laughs> are because of that relationship with the C-suite network. So it was meant to be that that 18 months in right. that company um, was absolutely necessary. And it, and it really shed the light on. It's not where my heart is. Right, right. No. Well, clearly, your heart is a 1000% in what you're doing now, yeah. which isn't just wedded it really is the whole package. It, it's the expertise. It's having something of value for the brides themselves, which uh, just tell us just in, in a nutshell, what it will be like to engage uh, with the e-wedded system. Why would I come there? 
what does your ideal client look like? And then I, I'd like to talk about the other side, which you've alluded to, of who the, the right people are to participate right. in the platform, in the network, uh, in the marketplace, uh, to have an outlet for what they do. Absolutely. So um, I like to say that in a nutshell, eWedded is the Etsy of the wedding industry. It's the, it's the easiest way for people to wrap their head around who we are and what we offer. The big difference is that A, we are wedding specific. Um, we are luxury wedding specific. So we are really looking for the couple that has a champagne taste on a beer budget, right? They want the finer things, but they don't want to go broke. <laughs> getting right, things. right. Um, they may be purposeful, right? So they, they may want to contribute to the circular economy. They, they don't want to waste. They, they have no problem buying something second or third hand, but they still want... Um, great craftsmanship, elegance, know, uh, elegance, products of integrity. Um, so, so that is who we're looking for. Uh, it won't be anything like a Facebook marketplace um, or even some of the, like, there's a couple of other marketplaces that are just bridal gowns, right? They don't, they don't offer the full suite of products. It isn't an, an experience for every single person that's right. part of the wedding process. We are super inclusive. We have, we have products for everybody. Um, I like to say to people, we have products from will you marry me to home sweet home. So, right, so until you get the ring on your finger, until you walk over the threshold in your new home, that, that's, that's what we can serve. Um, so, so yeah, so that the buyer is um, maybe eco-conscious, uh, you know, or budget conscious, but has a certain level of taste and style that they want to maintain. Um, but to get to the second part of your question, you know, eWedded was created for businesses. I, I had businesses in mind when I created this marketplace. And that's another thing that makes us very unique. A lot of the wedding marketplaces that exist today are business to consumer and they're very consumer driven, right? It's how can we satisfy the customer? How can we, how can we get them the best for less? And while that is part of our equation, the bigger piece is how can we help small businesses be more efficient? How can we put more money in their pocket and plump up that bottom line? How can we help them take surplus inventory and turn that into a cash generator for them, right? That's really what it comes down to. Right. And by doing so, we are helping the environment, right? We are extending the life of these luxury wedding products for everybody, for the brand, for the retailers or the businesses and for the customers. Right. So I like to say it's a win, win, win. <laughs> <laughs> well, it absolutely is. And, you know, Maya, your, your excitement about it is completely infectious. And, uh, you know, I'm certainly going to share it with everyone that I know. So what, what's the official launch date? Do we know that yet? Well, I'm going to say this month. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I will say I will, the middle of next week, I have handpicked some businesses to start creating their stores and uploading their product. So we will start uploading product in the next week um, and hopefully turn, turn it on <laughs> um, within the next two to three weeks. 
Great, great. Well, I can't wait to see it. I'm so excited to see your book in hand. I, I know that really is a thrill to open that first case and to see them. Uh, Maya, I have been so blessed to be on this journey with you, and uh, I just can't wait to see your success and, and to be a part of that. So thanks so much for sharing with us this morning. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And again, we have been talking to Maya Holohan, and she is the CEO and founder of eWedded. And she is also the author of uh, her book, which is called Happily Altered After. And her podcast is the same name, and it's available on all of the major podcast channels. And uh, all you have to do is search for it uh, or actually go to eWedded, and, and she takes you right there. And if you're interested in being uh, a part of eWedded, uh, she also has a link to her community, which is where you can talk about collaboration. Maybe you have an idea of something that would be a perfect fit for the wedding marketplace. I did the same thing with her with my product, Traveling to Give, uh, which uh, she has graciously included on the eWedded platform. And so I can uh, attest firsthand that Maya really puts her money where her mouth is. She is interested in collaboration and innovation and really providing the best possible end-to-end -end experience uh, for those who are involved in weddings. Maya, thank you so much. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald. Mm -hmm.